Yeah, I'm going to sing a song called Thank You. You are the love of my life, 
the love of my life. You are the love, the love of my life. You are the love of my life, the love of my life. You are the love, the love of my life. Thank you. And now we're going to go to David. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you, Father. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's the attitude. It's the attitude we can have as we go into this deep topic today, the development of trust. Just that, that gratitude of thank you. Thank you for being here for me, Spirit. Thank you for showing me the way, God. Thank you for leading my footsteps in the right direction so I can be happy, just to be happy, to be joyful, to be free, you know, that to have peace of mind is no small gift, it's literally everything. And so, for those of you who have worked with A Course in Miracles, or maybe even you've, you're new to the Course and you've had a different spiritual path, Trust is something we're going to talk about today because this is like the key, this is the cornerstone of, of self-realization, the cornerstone of hearing guidance, the cornerstone of, of awakening is, is having very, very strong trust. And even though this is the development of trust section, Michael read the first couple paragraphs, uh, leading into it, but it's part of the trust is the first characteristic of a teacher of God and all the other characteristics, all the other nine characteristics are built on trust. And Jesus goes so far to say, if trust goes, then all the rest will go. So it's like, no matter how honest you think you are, if you lose your trust, that will go away. No matter how tolerant or patient, no matter how generous, no matter how open-minded, no matter all those characteristics, no matter how gentle you really feel you are, it's all based on trust, and if trust goes, then the rest go as well. I think we touched on the idea too that it's not like that you don't have trust, because Trust is a reflection of the power of the mind, so the real question is, am I trusting in the ego, which is an imposter self, it's, it's a death wish, it's guilt and fear and pain and suffering, am I trusting in that belief system of separation, or am I trusting in the Holy Spirit's teaching, which is of perfect forgiveness, of all-inclusiveness, we're all in this together, we're really the same one, we're all spirit, you know, it's leading in the direction of wholeness and completion of eternity and heaven and nirvana. So you can see, it's not a matter of having trust or not, it's kind of 
where have I placed my trust? So, the section that we're going to be going through today in the Manual for Teachers, Development of Trust, could accurately be titled, Development of Trust in the Holy Spirit. Because we're going to have to realize we have to withdraw the trust and faith that we've had in the ego, believing in time and space, believing in separation, believing in scarcity and lack, in being defensive, uh, attack and defense, you know, that's where our trust was placed and now we have to withdraw our trust from that and then redirect it, reinvest it back into the bridge back to heaven, which is the Holy Spirit. So, as we were talking, even very end, we were having a nice discussion with uh, Lisa from uh, from Belgium, and we were having that beautiful back and forth discussion of of all on a track for stardom and on a track for fame, on a track for notoriety, fortune, and then there's something inside that's going, something's not right about that direction. There's something, it's not fulfilling about that. And that's because there's these two different guides, two different thought systems in our mind. One that's taking us back towards wholeness and completion and the other one is a trick. And when we develop trust in the Holy Spirit, we're simply saying at the deepest core of our being, I don't want to give in to the trick. I don't want to give in to the falsity. I don't want to try to pretend to be something that I'm not. I don't want to try to pretend to be something that God didn't create, because that would be trying to turn against my source. And my source is my life, my happiness and my joys. So I don't want to turn from that. So, we may use some examples, but basically we're going to be looking today and really looking closely at these teachings from Jesus that are meant to save us from misery and, and bring us back to that joy and happiness. There are a lot of spiritual pathways and it's far from it for me to to evaluate the pathways specifically, but in terms of the content I can talk a little bit about that. Any pathway that you've been on and um, I think Susan Jameson was talking about how you know you were saying you you've read all these books and you followed your internal teacher and it brought you here and there are many different books we read, authors, teachers, maybe even people that we meet that that are very seemingly influential. But what I've said is ultimately when you get down to even a theology, a core theology, it's either teaching everything is one, everything is love, and there's nothing else, or it's teaching something that's dualistic or or multiple in nature. Uh, and once you get into dualism, you get into balance, and balance seems to be kind of a popular idea, but, but you have to have two to have the balance. And all non-dualistic teachings will teach you that there's only one, and that who you are is that one. 
even the Matrix, ultimately is is a non-dualistic movie, because the whole point of it is is Morpheus prophesying, telling Neo, "You are the one," and then the whole movie is about coming to the realization of that, not through intellectual learning or concepts, but through an experience of transcendence, uh, of having dominion over the world of images. So, probably you've come through a number of teachings, and even if we talk about the secret, or the law of attraction, or a lot of the Abraham materials, or there are many, 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 many teachings that, that even if we get into the top of um, parts of uh, quantum physics, there's still a teaching that says you create your own reality. That's uh, what sometimes people call New Age teaching. And this is not what A Course in Miracles is teaching. The Course in Miracles does not teach that you create your own reality. The Course teaches that reality was created for you, reality was created by God. You are not the author of your own reality, you are the beneficiary of, of the source creating reality, and you are one with that source. So, your reality is spirit, and God is the, the creator of spirit. You could say the prime creator, you could say whatever you want, but, but basically uh, a lot of teachings on being a co-creator with God or, or creating reality are still very much into manifesting, saying you can use the power of your mind to make the world any way that you want it, and remember, it's, what I'm sharing is the ego projected the world, and the ego is the death wish. So, you know, you're not going to find happiness in um, controlling what the ego made. You will find happiness in forgiving or releasing what the ego made. Many of you come from a Judeo-Christian background, and that would be the Bible, and you know, in Genesis it said, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, in A Course in Miracles, it says the ego uh, invented uh, the world, the ego made the body. God did not create the body, God did not create the world or time or space. And these are very deep, penetrating metaphysics. And there really is no middle point between trying to uh, take on a position of manifesting, because basically Jesus would say, you don't really know what manifesting's for, that's why it won't get you home, um, because you, you don't know what it is for. And reality is, is literally beyond manifesting, so it's going to take an ultimate surrender, or as Jesus says, God will take the final step, our purpose is to work with the Holy Spirit, allow the mind to be purified, and reach the real world, or the happy dream, or true perception. Find ourselves in complete alignment, where we can simply see ourselves as the dreamer of the dream, and in, are in a state of not trying to judge the dream. From that state, we can be lifted up, you say, higher, even higher than that, back to 
divine reality or pure light, pure abstract light. So what we're going to look at today, these stages of the development of trust are so important because this is like your heart saying, Spirit, please give it to me straight. Don't sugarcoat this. Don't give me just a lollipop. <laughs> I want I want to know who I am. I want to know the source. I want to know eternal happiness. I want to wake up from the dream. I don't want to dilly-dally in illusions and think that I am in heaven when I'm I'm still dreaming. I'm still in a state of separation. Uh, the ego has its own version of the happy dream. It, it's not consistent because there's there is no such thing as an egoic happy dream because the happy dream is a dream of non-judgment and that's the only thing that will satisfy, that will lift us towards heaven is coming to a plate of complete acceptance and complete holistic acceptance, so there's no sense of separate parts. And from that state we can be lifted back into that I am presence that is prior to time and space. That was before the Big Bang, the illusion of separation. So I'm going to go through the development of trust with you and what I like about the development of trust section in the course is if you're going to go through some pretty heavy-duty experiences, I always feel like uh, no surprise is a good surprise. And so, like if I'm going in for a root canal, I want to lean back in there and I want a dentist that is going to say, okay, uh, we're going to go through a procedure here. Uh, we're going to do this and this and just explain the procedure and so I can just go, oh, thank you. I will relax and uh, enjoy this procedure to the best of my ability. And then when it's over, it's over. It, you might think of uh, believing in the ego is like having a root canal condition. You know, the root of the belief is not is not good. It's it's a death wish. So it's almost like. The Spirit's like saying, Holy Spirit's like saying, I want to come in and I want to extract this death wish from your split mind so that your mind is whole, whole again and that you're home in heaven. But there's an extraction and during this extraction um, this uh, death wish is not going to seem to go easy. Not because it's real, but because you believe in it with your powerful mind. You've got, God created you with such a powerful mind and now you take this mighty mind and you give it over to a puff of nothingness, a belief that you can actually be separate from your source. And now the extraction, the extraction isn't difficult or painful or challenging to the angels, but to the ego it, it goes down kicking and screaming, biting, it will bite you, it will try to bite you, <laughs> you know. I mean, Jesus uses the metaphor like if you 
try to take a sharp object, like if you try to take a knife away from a baby, the baby may actually scream and clench that knife even tighter because it's identified with the knife. Even though the knife could hurt it, it doesn't know that the knife could hurt it. And if you try to take a knife, a sharp knife, away from a baby, the baby may initially scream because it feels like something important, beautiful and shiny, that it had in its grasp is now being taken away from it. And that's that's a good metaphor for the spiritual journey too. Jesus says you react to your ego like, like in nature, like parents in nature rea react to their offspring. If you've ever watched, you know, any of the nature shows, you see that, that the mother cub or the mother lion, lioness, uh, the, in any, of all the species, they're very protective of their young. They will get into fights and battles over protection of the young. Jesus says, actually, that's the way you are with the ego. You made it by believing in it and you can dispel it by withdrawing your belief from it. But there's a certain amount of protectionism that goes in and that's why we have these defensive reactions. We have complicated, intric intricate defense mechanisms that are designed to protect the ego. When two people get into an argument or fight, intellectually they're, they're trying to outwit each other because they're trying to protect the ego, which wants to be right about the debate or the argument. When people get into physical confrontations, th there is a protection and a defense of the body that is involved in that. And there's also an aggression, an attack mechanism that's involved in that. But all those things are the mind still believing in the ego and wanting to offer protection for this death wish, protection for this belief that you could be separate from God. And that's why the best defense is no defense. In my defenselessness my safety lies. Jesus taught that in the Bible. Be meek. The meek, he, he said, shall inherit the earth. He literally says in the Course, that means they'll literally overcome it in their perception by their strength. They'll be so peaceful, so calm, so gentle, that their whole perception of the world will be like a blanket of peace that stretches and covers the whole earth, all of time and space, through their forgiveness. So, what we're going to go through, the development of trust, is the letting go of everything, I mean absolutely everything that you believe about everything. And that's why it can seem to be difficult. It takes such humbleness to let go of everything you believe. Uh, Jesus even says that that it is personally, you may be personally insulted to think that you have no contribution to make to the truth, meaning the ego has no contribution to the truth. Zero. It's a death wish. It, it was made to cover over the truth. It doesn't lead to the truth in any way. The Holy Spirit can use what the ego made, so whatever is the perceived world contains, all the projections of the ego, the Holy Spirit can use that, can use skills, abilities, 
every single thing that the ego made can be used by the Holy Spirit, but still it's basically to teach you that none of it's real. It's not like it's, it has any value in and of itself, it's just that it's symbols that will be used to unwind your mind from all belief in an external world. And, and to the realization that who you are is pure spirit and you've always been spirit. So let's let's go through these stages and I'm going to be like the dentist today. I'm going to I'm going to you're ready for a procedure and uh I'm going to just be your guide and just kind of lay out the procedure. The first time I read through this I went through and I was like, "Wait a minute. One, I was counting the stages. Two, three, four, five, Six, okay, that's good for me to know. There's six stages. Jesus Christ is giving six stages and I'm thinking, I want to know this. This is good. If I'm going to have to go through this, I like that he lays it out, the six stages. And then when I started to step back a little bit, I started to look and I was like, huh. Four of these six stages are dark. That's two-thirds. This is what I'm getting myself into. Two-thirds of the stages that I'm going to go through towards reaching nirvana or heaven, eternal life, are, are dark. Well, you know, I like that. I still like that because I always say, give it to me straight. Don't mollycoddle me. Don't, don't sugarcoat this and then at the end go, okay, it's really dark. I was just trying to take it easy on you, but it's going to be dark and you're going to have to face all kinds of fears and, you know, it's, a lot of it's going to be like a horror, horror movie. But I want to know this. I want to be prepared. I don't mind going to horror movies if I know ahead of time it's a horror movie. I, it helps me. It's like that was part of my thing with Jesus was give it to me straight. Do not try to make up something to lure me in and then when I get in the middle of it, oh, I'll be tempted to just call off the whole thing. Let's call the whole thing off. I don't want to call the whole thing off. I don't want to stop in my awakening towards heaven. So let's just look at these because it's good to know that four of the, four of the six are difficult, challenging, dark. They're, they're a test. And then there's a couple good ones in there. And so when you reach one of those, you can go, okay, it's like you're running a marathon and you can, you're ready to get your second wind. You know, you're ready to keep going with this. I like it. Just give it to me straight. So we'll, I'll go through this with you. Just think of it, you're laying back in the dental chair and now I'm just going to give it, before the procedure begins, I just am going to give it to you straight. First, they must go through what might be called a period of undoing. Isn't that an interesting phrase from Jesus Christ? A period of undoing. First comes a period of undoing. Well, let's just look at that word undoing. Suppose I believe that I'm a human being who's really more of a human doing. I'm a human doer. Do, 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 do. And 
for most people on the planet, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There is so much pressure and emphasis placed on the doing. At work, what have you done for me lately? You know, what? how is your doings producing a profit for the company? Uh, or if it's a partnership, for example, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, are you doing enough to maintain the partnership? <laughs> you know, this is a common thing. You know, there's a lot of fish in the sea, I chose you, but you're doing slacking off there a little bit and it's putting more doing pressure on, on one partner than the other, that's, that's not good for a relationship, on and on and on, that if you have an education, you have degrees, you have skills, abilities, this is all part of a, the preference package of being human and this is all part of your worth comes from what you do, you know, and that is so heavily ingrained. And so it's interesting that the very first stage, the very first thing that a teacher of God has to go through is a period of undoing. What does undoing even mean to you? It may mean that, that you have a period to just relax and to let go for a moment of all this stream of, of duties and I have to be here, I have to do this, I'm, my life is so scheduled. You're a scheduled doer and you have to be at a certain place at a certain time, otherwise everything will seem to fall apart. And then you actually reach a point where I need to stop and, and step back from putting pressure on myself and what I do. Because, why? Because my worth is established by God, not by what I do. In fact, Jesus says, your worth is established by God. Nothing you think or say or do or want determines your worth. Your worth is established by God. Your worth is as, as spirit. Your entire worth is as spirit. And you cannot add to this worth or subtract from this worth. This worth is eternal. So this doing is a big distraction away from knowing yourself as an eternal being. So first, they must go through what might be called a period of undoing. This need not be painful, but it is usually so experienced. It seems as if things are being taken away. And it is rarely understood initially that their lack of value is merely being recognized. That's good to know because a lot of us have had these experiences in our life where things just start to disappear. It can be relationships, it can be jobs, it can be children, parents, it can be possessions. Uh, you find yourself going down where things just seem to be falling away from your perception and basically Jesus is saying uh, their lack of value is merely being recognized. That, that the reason they're falling away from your awareness is because you're starting to realize that they're not really ultimately eternally valuable and therefore as you loosen from valuing these things they start to disappear from your awareness. How can lack of 
value be perceived unless the perceiver is in a position where he must see things in a different light. When he says a position where he must see things in a different light, he's talking about circumstances. You will seem to suddenly have circumstances in your life as a person where there's some contrast showing up where it seems as if things are being taken away and now you really have to, having to start to raise the question into awareness, what is really valuable to me? He is not yet at a point at which he can make the shift entirely in, internally. And so the plan will sometimes call for changes in what seem to be external circumstances. So, again, this is what we mean by a position where he must see things in a different light. These circumstances, which seem to be the circumstances of your life as a person in the world, will sometimes shift in sharp ways. And what he's saying is you're just starting to lose value in the things of this world. They will never content you and you're just starting to see it. But you can't necessarily see it internally. You may need to seem to have external events that help you along, that kind of nurture you in the right direction. And here's the kicker, this is the most important thing. In fact, this is the whole point of the first stage. These changes are always helpful. That means when so-and-so walks out the door and leaves you, when you get fired from a job, when even when you seem to be in an accident, or you're incapable of doing certain things that you once did before, and the ego is ready to get out the violin and go, Oh, poor pity for you. You had, you had it going so good. Your worldly life looked so promising there. You were on the right track to being a great success, and now it's playing the violin and go, Oh, how unfortunate, how unlucky for you that you had these circumstances happen to you. No, you're not unlucky and you're not even unfortunate. Actually, these changes are always helpful. Don't you love it when Jesus uses that always word? I've even had people tell me, never, ever, ever, David, say the word always and never say never. I said, but you just said never. Uh, <laughs> The thing about it is, it's all right when Jesus Christ says always, because guess what? He means it. I love that. You gotta love this. These changes are always helpful. <laughs> Think about that with anything in your entire life. These changes are always helpful. Well, very good. That is, the ego does not like that one bit. It is kick already. It's the first stage. It's going to be kicking and screaming. They're always helpful. When the teacher of God has learned that much, he goes on to the second stage. Okay, that's how you graduate from the first stage. You just have to come to a feeling, just a general feeling in your heart, like everything that ever seemed to happen to me in my entire life was always helpful. There was always some benefit to anything that seemed to happen, without exception. That's why he uses the always word. So, there's something relaxing about graduating from stage one, because 
you have this feeling in your heart like, wow, it was always, there was always a helpful aspect to it, because why? That is really the first step in loosening yourself from victimhood. If all the circumstances were always helpful, that means the, you're on the first step of cleaning your mind from this belief that you are a victim of the world. That there's an external world outside of you that has done things to you against your will. And that's the first step. You can see why that's so important in undoing anger, because the only way you can even experience anger is to believe that something was done to you by someone not yourself. That something was done to you against your will. That's the basis of all anger. That's the basis of all fear. It's the basis of all this sense of being a victim. Because if you were a victim, then that leads to helplessness, powerlessness, and of course all those things I just mentioned. Anger, fear, shame, suffering. And once you begin to see that all these circumstances were helpful, just at the beginning you're, you're on the way to true forgiveness of not feeling like a victim, not feeling at the mercy to the world. Okay, then you're ready for stage two. Next, the teacher of God must go through a period of sorting out. Oh, I'm looking at the screen right now. I'm seeing a lot of people smiling there. They're, they are smiling. They're like sorting out. Boy, Jesus knows me. It's like, am I going through a period of sorting out? Oh yeah, let's hear what he has to say on that, because I see all those smiling faces. All those sorters, you know. <laughs> We've got a lot of sorters going on out there, some sorting, and I see those smiles, recognizing that. So this is going to be fun. Next, the teacher of God must go through a period of sorting out. This is always somewhat difficult. Hmm? Yeah, I see some nodding, nodding heads there, nodding heads. This is always somewhat difficult because, having learned that the changes in his life are always helpful, he must now decide all things on the basis of whether they increase the helpfulness or hamper it. That's where the struggle comes in. As you start to get a metaphysical awareness that things, that there's no accidents, there's nothing random happening in this world, and that there are all helpful, but you now must decide all things on the basis of whether they increase the helpfulness or hamper it. So now he's starting to zoom you deeper into the mind on what is your purpose. Because I will tell you that as far as even trying to sort things out in this crazy, complex world of, of, that was made by the ego, in even the beginning stages of sorting out, when he says you must decide all things on the basis of whether they increase the helpfulness or hamper it, you're beginning to get a hint of 
the purpose that I hold in my mind, the torch that I hold in my heart is going to determine whether it's helpful or harmful, whether it seems to be helping my direction towards God or it's, it's hampering and delaying my, my opening towards God's love. So this is a very important one. He will find that many, if not most of the things that he valued before will merely hinder his ability to transfer what he has learned to new situations as they arise. Most of the things he valued before will merely hinder his ability to transfer what he has learned. What he's really saying is, is when your mind's asleep and dreaming, it's heavily invested in the ego and it's heavily invested in the past. That your goals, your ideals, your values are so based in the past that you're just trying to project a future to still get those things that you still value, but you haven't perceived them as coming to you fully yet as a person. So you're still chasing, you're still like the hamster on the hamster wheel. You're still spinning the wheel, still valuing the past and they're still, thereby still valuing the future and maintaining the, what they call in the East, the wheel of karma. The wheel of karma is still spinning because you're still valuing the past. And you can see that basically by when you look at your life and you still seem to have goals and you have an idea from the past of something that you want to bring into your awareness, but you're still valuing the past by pursuing those we could say form goals. Maybe you look at the world and you say, well, I think this outcome is valuable and this outcome and this one and this one and this one. And then you put your energy into trying to fulfill and achieve these goals, not realizing you're just spinning the wheel of karma by still valuing the past. Still believing you'd be better off if things were different still believing in self-improvement, still believing in, in achieving in terms of the timeline, still trying to make the world a better place instead of seeing that it's your mind, your state of mind that needs to heal and come around right to the light. It's still projecting it out onto the world and trying to value certain things based on the value of the past. Because he has valued what is really valueless, he will not generalize the lesson for fear of loss and sacrifice. It takes great learning to understand that all things, events, encounters, and circumstances are helpful. So it's almost like that was stage one. You're supposed to see that everything is helpful and you think you've graduated from stage one and you're in stage two and he comes right back at it. And now he says, it takes great learning. Like, you thought you got it in stage one? No. You didn't because the fear of loss and sacrifice was 
too strong. You still believed you had something and you're afraid to let go of what you believe you have. But what you have and believe you have is something to do with form. And God is pure spirit, so there's still a feeling of trying to hold on to something of value and form. And that's keeping this whole noodle, this whole, whole purple noodle, this whole timeline in place, because there's still something underneath that still is sought for. It is only to the extent which they are helpful that any degree of reality should be accorded them in this world of illusion. You see how gentle he is? He uses words like degree of reality. He's, he's just saying, here's a bone. <laughs> reality really is just pure spirit, but to the extent that anything that you perceive is helpful in the unwinding of your mind from the ego, he calls it degree of reality. In, in truth, reality doesn't have any degrees. Oneness doesn't have any degrees. Oh, I'm in the 45th degree of oneness. I'm really feeling happy. I hope to be up to the 64th degree of oneness. It's ridiculous. There's no degrees of oneness. One is one is one. But he's saying to the extent that it's helpful in the unwinding, in the loosening of the grip of the ego in your mind, that's how you can give it some value and say, this is helping me instead of hindering me. This is, this is helping me wake up instead of holding me back from waking up. The word value can apply to nothing else. So, it's just a reflection that has, still has helpfulness. What would be an example of that? What would be an example of something that could help you even though it's not actually eternal reality? Well, let's use an example. What about words? What does Jesus tell us about words in the Course? That words are but symbols of symbols twice removed from reality. So obviously, who invented the words? There aren't any words in oneness, uh, because everything just is. It's, it's all pure isness. It's just pure being. But in terms of words, you see how if words were used in a helpful way, let's say the words were being used by the Holy Spirit to inspire, to bless, to give you a sense of vitality. You know, when you hear a beautiful song, like Celine Dion singing, My Heart Goes On. Remember the song, the theme from Titanic? My Heart Goes On. You hear that beautiful James Horner music. Oh, your heart's already melting with the James Horner music. It's so soft and soothing and smooth. And then you've got Celine's voice in there. Oh, now you're halfway to heaven. And then My Heart Goes On. Oh, those are beautiful, those are words used to point towards what? Towards eternity. My heart goes on and on. <coughs> Even though, you know, you may see the scene in the movie and Leonardo's is in the water and his beard is getting frosty and his lips are turning blue. But, that's alright, Celine is saying what? 
my heart goes on and your heart expands when you hear that because that's the use of words from the Holy Spirit. Words aren't real in any sense of eternal, but it's not like you get to heaven and you go, oh, we finally made it, let's have a good chat. You know, you don't need to chat in heaven because all is one. But for now, we're saying that's a good example of the Holy Spirit can use the words. So, suppose you've been using words at work, you've been using words with your spouse, you've been using words with your children, with your neighbors and everything, and maybe they always aren't inspiring and blessing. Maybe you have a few choice words in there, under your breath for your boss, or when you get into a fit of rage and upset, that would be the ego's use of words. But once you start to value the Spirit, then the Spirit will direct your words. The Spirit will guide your words. And the words can be helpful, because there seem to be people that you're interacting with that words are very important, because they're, they're very strong symbols of communication, and so you want those words to be inspired. So that's just an example of maybe you're going through sorting out, and maybe you're noticing that you would like your choice of words and, and your use of words to be more under the guidance of the Holy Spirit because it, it will be bring more of a blessing by allowing your mind to do that. Okay, the third stage through which the teacher of God must go can be called a period of relinquishment. So, when you make it to stage three, this is going to be a letting go. Why? Because the world is much ado about nothing. Why? Because the world was learned and the Holy Spirit would have you unlearn the world. The world is nothing more than concepts, erroneous concepts that have been learned, layered upon layer upon layer. In fact, Jesus says in the Course, He says, you kept learning and learning this world and never did you pause for an instant to think, why am I doing this now? <laughs> You've been going in the wrong direction. <laughs> My mother was a, was a teacher. I was in teacher's college. Eventually I had, that's why I had to outgrow university because I was in teacher's college and then I'm reading, after I get out of 10 years of university, I read from Jesus that, that you learn this entire world and now it has to be unlearned. Okay, so much for the value of education. Uh, some of you I know have been pursuing educational degrees. Uh, well, when you start working with the Course, this can be conflictual for the ego because you put all this time and energy and effort and money into learning and then you get into A Course in Miracles and Jesus is like, you got to unlearn the whole shebang. The whole kit and caboodle, everything has to be unlearned. Very much like Buddhism, empty the mind of everything you think you think and think you know. And especially if you've got any pride around learning. You know, you start to gain a degree or two, you start to get some years of learning under your belt, and then, then all of a sudden you realize that this whole world is learned and that's the problem. 
heaven is not learned. Heaven is a creation of God, it's given. Spirit is beyond the realm of learning and that you have to actually unlearn everything that you've learned in order to forgive. And he will occasionally use that word learning, like learning forgiveness or learning true forgiveness, but really he also means unlearning everything that the ego taught you in order that you may forgive. Release all your past learning so that you may experience a state of unification, of wholeness and completion. So let's talk a little bit about this period of relinquishment. Because most of us, we just, all we hear about is abundance, 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 abundance. And from the materialistic mindset, that word abundance can sound like more, more, more. Like if you have more things, more stuff, more ego preferences satisfied, it, somehow you have favor in, in God's eyes, or you're having favor to God, that's actually not the case. Because that would put spiritual awakening on the level of materiality. Like the more of outcomes or more material things would be equated with coming closer to spiritual awakening. And then instead of cheering us on in that direction, manifesting more, manifesting more, 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 there's this, there's this beautiful section in the Course called Beyond All Idols where Jesus starts it off by saying, what is an idol? Do you think you know? An idol is for more of something. It does not matter more of what. What? What are you saying, Jesus? Are you saying more is an idol? He said, yes. Anything you consider with regard to the material universe and, and the physical world, the seemingly physical world, when you get into the more mentality, you are actually making an idol. In heaven, they don't know what more means. They, I say. Oneness doesn't even know what more is. You know, they say, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. If you want to make the angels laugh, just use that one word. They think that is the most hilarious word. More. <laughs> Legions of angels laughing at you when you, when you use the word more. Because they know that who you are, you were created above the angels. You were created as the Holy Son of God. You were, you were created as the Christ. And in the Christ's identity, there is no such thing as more. So that's why we should not be too shocked when we reach the third stage of, of trust, when he says the stage number three can be called a period of relinquishment. Wow. Yeah, that's definitely not more. Relinquishment? That's, that's a pretty strong word. If this is interpreted as giving up the desirable, it will engender enormous conflict. Few teachers of God escape this distress entirely. There is, however, no point in sorting out the valuable from the valueless unless the next obvious step is taken. 
Therefore, the period of overlap is apt to be one in which the teacher of God feels called upon to sacrifice his own best interest on behalf of the truth. You know, it's this idea of more is so ingrained that, that as you're going through this period of relinquishment, it's like, woe is me. Oh, the ego's like, okay God, all right. What do I have to give up for Lent? What do I have got to give up for Easter? What do I have to give? You know, it's always the stress is that there's some kind of big sacrifice being asked. And remember, this is all to help us come to joy. And, and it's like undoing that belief that we have something in form. We have some skills, ability, possessions. We've accumulated something. We've achieved something. All of that is not the direction of knowing who you are as God created you. He has not realized as yet how wholly impossible such a demand would be. He can learn this only as he actually does give up the valueless. So if you remember the, the workbook lesson, I will not value the valueless, this, this section right in here is, is pointing out that that lesson, I will not value the valueless, some of you may remember in that lesson, he says, I will give you the simple criteria for evaluating what is valuable and what is valueless. So that workbook lesson is really helping us with this third stage. What does he tell us in that workbook lesson? If it will last forever, it's valuable. If it will not last forever, it has no value whatsoever. And those are the only two criteria he gives in, in the lesson. If it will last forever, it's valuable. If it will not last forever, it is not valuable. This is where the ego squeals. This is where he uses words like enormous conflict, distress. It's basically the ego's going, oh, I don't like this course. I do not like this course. Because this third stage is not asking you to combine your career with A Course in Miracles, combine your future ambitions with A Course in Miracles, it's really starting to invite you into the present moment. Now he's really saying, let's come a little bit closer to the holy instant of you realizing who you are and realizing that you have everything, that you are everything, that you've always had everything and you always are everything because you always are spirit. You always are spirit. You, there is, you are never not spirit. You are always spirit. And this is beginning to say, we're going to make a big investment in the power of now. <laughs> we're going to make a big investment in the holy instant and take our minds, faith and energy and focus away from the timeline. This is like really saying, are you willing to get off the noodle? I'm paraphrasing. That's David uh, David's paraphrase of, of that's that whole stage. Are you willing to really get off the noodle and become into joy? Remember, it's not like you're saying the form is having to shift because it's, it's a state of mind. 
but it's a state of mind where you're so present that you're just radiating that love of God. You're now starting to move into being a channel of God that we talked about last night. Because as you devalue time, you value the present moment and that's the gateway to eternity. Through this, which is actually giving up the valueless, through this he learns that where he anticipated grief, he finds a happy lightheartedness instead. Where he thought something was asked of him, he finds a gift bestowed on him. I can certainly relate to this one because at the beginning I had long conversations with Jesus. You're asking me to give up my career? Well, first it started with job, and then it went into a career, and then I went into goals and ambitions, and I went back and forth with Jesus, like, well, you know, I, I want intimacy, and I want freedom, I want happiness and joy, and he's like, yes, 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 good, 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 good. You're not going to find him on the timeline. You know, you have every right to ask for everything you're asking for, but you are not going to find it in time because those are eternal qualities that God gave you in creation and you, you're searching for them on the timeline and you're always going to be frustrated, disappointed and, and really feel like cheated, like God cheated me or I am miserable because God didn't fulfill His promises, but it really was just looking for them on a timeline and they aren't to be found. They absolutely cannot be found in time. I don't know about some of you, in, but have you tried? I tried. I tried. I mean, I didn't just give it a half-hearted effort. I, I gave it a whole-hearted, I thought, effort, but it still had egoic um, reflections in there. I still was looking for something in form to be a certain way. Okay, that has been, that is the third stage. Now comes a period, it's a period of settling down. Here we go, something positive. <laughs> this, we finally reach a point where we can take a breather. Now comes a period of settling down. This is a quiet time in which the teacher of God rests a while in reasonable peace. Okay. <laughs> this is a good, enjoy this one because this is a good one. <laughs> Rest a while in reasonable peace. So, you've gone through this period of relinquishment and now you're sitting there and you find yourself for the majority of the day just in your little rocking chair like I've got with the, with the biggest smile on your face and you're just going, holy Jesus, I just, ooh, I like, the t I like the feel of this. I can just rock here and, oh, thank you. It's like, like just taking a breather. Now he consolidates his learning. Now he begins to see the transfer value in what he has learned. Its potential is literally staggering and the teacher of God is now at the point in which his, in his progress, at which he sees in it his whole way out. 
This is the point where you're rocking in that rocking chair and you are just smiling because you go, I'm going to make it. I'm going to escape. <laughs> I am going to escape the grips of sin, the grips of fear, the grips of boredom, <laughs> the grips of struggle. And you're in your rocking chair and you're thinking, I am so grateful. I am so grateful because now I know that the ego doesn't have me, that I still have an ego, but the ego's days are numbered. You know, now you're starting to get on top of the thing. If this was a wrestling match, you've been pinned the first three stages, but now in this one, on the rest, you pin the ego. <laughs> You actually flip over, you win around. <laughs> you, you finally are on top of it. It's not on top of you. That's that's why you're smiling. You're actually shake you're just rocking and you're just so happy that, because now you know that escape is possible. You're on to it. You're on to the ego now and you realize that you are going to pull your mind away from this ego and you are going to cease believing in it. It was only, it only seemed to have power because you believed in it, but now you're starting to take your mighty, powerful, God-given mind and you're, you are going back into full empowerment. You're going to pull the full power and glory of your mind back into alignment with the Creator, with the Source, and you're not going to feed this puff of nothingness anymore. In one sense, you're going to starve the ego. You're not going to give it any belief. You're not going to give it any mind energy. And, and you are staggered. It is staggering at this point. At this point, in his progress, the teacher of God sees it. He sees in it his whole way out. And here it is, give up what you do not want and keep what you do. So I would say it's like another sorting out, but now it's a different kind of sorting out. Now you're getting down to the real core of give up what you do not want and keep what you do. Jesus says, how simple is the obvious, exclamation point, and how easy to do, exclamation point. The teacher of God needs this period of respite, of peace, of quiet, simple. He has not yet come as far as he thinks. So even though you're smiling and you're in your rocking chair and, and you've got the ego pinned, the ego is clever and this puff of nothingness, it does not go down it does not disappear until you completely withdraw your belief from it. He has not come as far as he thinks, yet when he is ready to go on, he goes with mighty companions beside him. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> That's it! There's a cheer for the, all the mighty companions. <laughs> we're in this together. We're we're going. We're marching through this together. We are not alone. 
the reflections of our mind training are starting to show up. The, the reflections of our desire for God, the reflections of we're going to make it, that, that we are going to make, we are going to escape from this belief in separation. Now, how wonderful. It makes you feel like that song that Suava sang about, thank you, you have just so much gratitude for these reflections. Because why? Because we've had plenty of the other reflections. <laughs> we've had plenty of the put-downs, plenty of the you'll never amount to anything, you're not good enough. We've had plenty of the who do you think you are, you know, of the doubters. We've had plenty of those. Now we're happy to have mighty companions reflecting the love and the joy and of, of, of our true nature coming back to us. Very convincing. Mighty companions are extremely convincing. The sense that you are not alone, you have support. This is like a reflection for your mind of a giant support system. Now he rests a while and gathers them, gathers the mighty companions before going on. He will not go on from here alone. This stage, reaching this fourth stage is like, it's so empowering. Because now you're not concerned with bigger, better, faster, more. You're not concerned with comparisons. You're not concerned with, oh, I want what they've got. Because your mighty companions are all reflecting to you that, that who you are, your very identity, is worthy. Not what you do, but who you are is worthy. You are just worthy because God created you, not because of your resume, not because of your achievements. It doesn't even matter, you know, you could have a huge resume or a resume with nothing on it and there's, they're both the same. There's, there's no sense of accomplishment in terms of worldly outcomes. It's all a reflection of the love that's inside you, the love that comes from God. How beautiful! Imagine having friends that are reflecting, you are lovable but just because of who you are. Even when you say you're having a bad day, your mighty companions are, are like cheering you on. They're not trying to commiserate with you, they're not trying to join you in, in darkness, they're not trying to analyze your situation, and they're not even trying to advise you. They're just trying to, they're just reflections of love. You know, that's so amazing. It's just, I think that's why we love these online retreats, because you can see all these amazing mighty companions sprinkled all over the world. And it's all a reflection of our mind. How glorious! God loves us and we have these beautiful reflections that we're waking up. Oh, that is just so precious. That's why, that's definitely one of the, the positive <laughs> stages. <laughs> he goes on with mighty companions beside him. He will not go on from here alone. So, Re rejoice in that, really revel in that 
feel the gratitude, allow yourself to express the gratitude. It's like a momentum, it's building a confidence in the journey to God. The next stage is indeed a period of unsettling. This comes after the mighty companions show up. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever read the, 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 the mystics and saints, you know, Saint John of the Cross and Saint Teresa of Avila and all the, the mystics and saints throughout history. If you read their writings, you read, they have some really dark things in their writings. I don't know if you've taken Saint Francis, did you ever read Saint Francis' autobiography? Whoo! Whoo! There's some darkness in there. Read Gandhi's autobiography. Read, you know, if you read the lives of the mystics and saints, you're going to see there's definitely some darkness. Uh, I've been asked to, at some point during this weekend, to talk about what Jesus calls the ring of fear below the perceptual level that we see all this world of images, there's a ring of fear underneath that is producing this world. And um, what else was it called? Circle of fear. He calls it the ring of fear and he talks about the circle of fear. Michael and I were just digging those passages <laughs> out the other day. But um, I've told this story before too, and some of you might know it, that um, Francis and I were talking one time and and Francis said that um, Vipassana, is, how many people have heard of Vipassana? Yep, see the hands going up. Well, the ones who invented this deep pathway to, to God, and Vipassana retreats are quite, uh, quite popular around the world, they, a group of Vipassana teachers got together, I believe it was over in maybe Thailand, was where the Vipassana originated. They all get together, you know, like, like the elders, the, the originators of this very deep pathway to God. They get together, and when they would get together, they would compare their meditation notes. This is one of the deepest techniques of practices of meditation in the world. And when the, the leaders of the movement, the elders would get together, they would compare their notes, and they would find that they, all were going so deep that they were hitting this huge fear. After many years of meditating, they would hit this like ring of, circle of fear, this ring of fear in their minds, and it was staggering. In fact, a lot of them decided they started, we need maybe to interact with other pathways because to see if other ones are hitting this same deep ring of fear. Because maybe we need to use more psychological components, maybe we need to integrate things in different ways, because they were quite unprepared for this uh, ring of fear. Well, we've just gone through the uh, mighty companion phase, so the next stage is indeed a period of unsettling. Now must the teacher of God understand that he did not really know what was valuable and what was valueless. All that he really learned so far was that he did not want the valueless, and that he did want the valuable. Yet his own sorting out was meaningless in teaching him the difference. You see that? His own sorting out. As long as we think our personality self is going through this journey, 
and our personality self is kind of the one calling the shots and somehow our personality self is going to become a perfect child of God, we don't realize that the mask will never be enlightened. The mask, the persona, the mask is not the one that's going to know God. You know, it's God is no respecter of persons, as the Bible said. So that personality mask is still was thinking a bit like it was running the show a little bit and it knew what was valuable, valueless. Jesus is saying, no, the idea of sacrifice, so central to his own thought system, had made it impossible for him to judge. Even if you look at traditional Christianity, there it is again. Christianity has some very beautiful teachings, and there have been many beautiful Christian saints and mystics through the years, but just like with other theologies, there's this idea that somehow God demands sacrifice, and that's part of the, the teachings of Paul and the teachings of traditional Christianity, Catholicism and the majority, most of the denominations of Christianity teach that God created the world and he created paradise and then Adam and Eve did not follow instructions. They did not follow what God was telling them to do. They fell from grace. They listened to the snake. They took a bite out of the apple. Whatever. Something, <laughs> something went wrong. And then it just continued to go wrong for centuries and centuries until Jesus showed up. And then Jesus had to be like the sacrificial lamb. He had to take the blows for all these wrongdoings and misdeeds of turning away from God. And he had to be slaughtered and tortured and slaughtered to pay the price, to pay the ransom. Wait a minute. That would mean that God needed something to appease God, that there had to be some kind of, what? Suffering and sacrifice so that God could be reunited with humankind? Wait a minute here. That's what? A belief in sacrifice that a loving God would require a sacrifice of the beloved Son to reach Him? Well, this idea of sacrifice, we may laugh at traditional Christianity, but this, this ego belief is so rooted that every time you feel, you look and think somebody else got something you didn't, that's sacrifice. Every time you think that there's somebody more advanced than you spiritually, or less advanced than you spiritually. That's the belief in sacrifice. Every time you think, okay God, I'm coming home, but oh gosh, it's so hard to give up this paradise. When you still believe there's something valuable in images, and you think that it's maybe not so fast, God. I'll come, I'll come later on, but there's still things I want from from earth. That's the belief in sacrifice. Because if spirit is eternal and time-space is not, time-space is temporary, you know, it's, it's, it will not last forever. It's, it was made and it will dissolve or collapse at some point. Uh, even with the Big Bang, they feel like it'll start, time and space will start contracting on itself at one point. All of that is the belief that there's something other than love. And when you're convinced that that something other than love 
has something to do with your life, that just means you've completely forgotten eternal life, you've blanked, you've completely dissociated eternity, and you become so accustomed to time and space that now it seems like a sacrifice to give up time and space to go back to eternity. That's how deep this belief in sacrifice is. Imagine how detached you have to be so that, you know, somebody seems to steal money from you and you laugh. Or that you have, you're, you're so into the divine flow of all things working together for good that you never get offended, you never can be harmed, you never can be taken advantage of, you never can be mistreated. That, that would be opening to the present moment, to this state of mind in which there is no sacrifice. Because sacrifice means to give up something. But think of it, if you're everything, if you were created as everything, and you were created forever as everything, this idea of giving up something must not be coming from God. All these ideas of relinquishment, all these ideas of, of giving up something must be coming from the ego. So when people say, well, if you really want to find God, you're going to have to give up everything in the world, actually, even the illusion of giving up is not real. There, there must come a state of mind where you realize, huh, I've always been as God created me. I never had anything other than God's love. I never could add to perfection. There never could be more than everything. I've always been everything. In my I amness, I've always been everything that there ever could be, spirit. And there is never any chance of adding to that or subtracting from that. That's what sacrifice is, the belief you can add to perfection or subtract from perfection. That's what sacrifice is. And that's why the human condition is one of discontent. Because it's, it's the attempt at the impossible. It's the attempt to make something other than what God created. It's absolutely inconceivable that there could be something other than God. And yet, this world is like the acting out of the impossible. It's an impossible dream. So, he says, he thought he learned willingness, but now he sees that he does not know what the willingness is for. And now he must attain a state that may remain impossible to reach for a long, long time. When Jesus says long, long, you're not to be discouraged by that, but he's just, again, he's, he's like the dentist is giving a realistic uh, description of the, the uh, root canal. He must learn to lay all judgments aside and ask only what he really wants in every circumstance. Were not each step in this direction so heavily reinforced, it would be hard indeed. So, this is how you come out of this stage of, uh, of unsettling, a period of unsettling. You come out of it by asking honestly, what, what do I want to come of this with every seeming 
situation that appears in your earth experience. You just ask, you're in touch with that question, what do I want to come of this? You're not going to be reacting and responding to situations because what you want to come of this is peace. You become such a, a bringer of peace, such a giver of peace, such a radiator of peace and happiness and joy that that strength in your mind radiates that out and you don't have, expectations don't have a chance when in, you're in that state of radiating this divine love. Because, remember I said, everything that you perceive in the world is coming from mind, but when you're radiating from the core and the heart of love, you aren't projecting an external world. You see yourself at one with every blade of grass, with every molecule, with every black hole, with every planet, with every sphere. You completely see yourself as unified and you don't see anything external to your mind. You accept your divine mindness, divine, because God, you're living as an idea in the mind of God, and that's where the struggle ends, that's where the, the all perceived problems end with that radiating that love. You become a giver of God's love. Just as God created Christ by giving, you also are a giver. Now that's being a co-creator with God, not in form, but in your mind, which is where everything is and everything will ever be in the divine mind. And then, finally, there is a period of achievement. It is here that learning is consolidated. Now what was seen as merely shadows before becomes solid gains to be counted on in all emergencies as well as tranquil times. Indeed, the tranquility is their result. The outcome of honest learning, consistency of thought, and full transfer. This is the stage of real peace, for here is heaven's state fully reflected. From here, the way to heaven is open and easy. In fact, it is here. Who would, quote, go anywhere if peace of mind is already complete? And who would seek to change tranquility for something more desirable. What could be more desirable than this? So that's the state of enlightenment, that's the state of where the learning is consolidated. This is the state of mind where there are no temptations, because you don't have to face temptations anymore when the mind is unified and whole and consolidated, because it, the mind is not perceiving anything as external to itself. And what is temptation but the belief that there is something outside of you, outside of your mind? That, that is what projection is, and in the end you start to realize that ultimately projection is impossible, because projection is trying to get rid of something you don't want, and in the end, when you only experience peace, there is no attempt to get rid of anything. There is no attempt at projecting. You are simply an extension of God's love and and that's 
you were created as an extension of God's love. That's the most natural experience that could ever be. So, I just have, I remember reading this and I just thought, I am so grateful to have a, like an outline given of steps and stages just as a context for spiritual awakening. So that it's not like you're shocked and surprised. As you go through this, you can see the surprises just washed away, washed away, stage by stage, washing away the belief in sacrifice. Until at the end you see that there is no sacrifice because there's really nothing to give up. You never had anything that was not of God. You only had your state of being. Having and being are the same and that's the final realization in spirituality. It's what I have is what I am, is, the, is a way of stating it. So, that was the giving it to you straight. There was, I was, there was no attempt to hold anything back in, in those stages, because it's good to have everything kind of laid out. That way there's not so much room for surprise and, and saying, no, this is too much, or turning it around onto God, like, you tricked me. You know, when I read this, I think, oh well, there is no chance of being tricked by God because God is love, and, and love is no trick. The ego was the trick. So, let's, we have a little bit of time here <laughs> left to go into this, and why don't we open it up? We actually also have some of your questions, but this morning was really to be a teaching session on on developing the trust because with all the questions, uh, what was it Michael said, read the quote, trust would settle every, every problem, problem now. <laughs> That's why we focus so much on the trust this morning because you can see that development of that trust is going to leave you in a state that doesn't have problems. And yet we want to also be very practical. Why don't we um, see, Jeff, do we have any hands going up or are there opportunities for us to, uh, to interact on, on these stages here? Definitely, definitely. Um, Lenny, go ahead. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Uh, I was just thinking, I think it's uh, very helpful, David, that you went into describing these stages of trust. Uh, I've read about them a few times, and I'm, I'm thinking now, is it helpful to know on what stage one is, or is it just the ego <laughs> wanting to understand the spiritual journey? I don't know. I'm just... As you're going through this, I'm thinking, hmm, wonder where I am. <laughs> it's kind. Of, it it feels like it would be helpful to know where one is and just to yeah, kind of see what lies ahead. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe you could speak a bit about that. 
Yes, it's very common. Every time I've ever gone over these stages anywhere in the world, that's the first uh, question. It's just like it springs up right away. Where am I uh, on on this? And it's kind of funny, the answers I hear from some people, uh, sometimes they'll say, they'll try to pick a stage, and other times people will say, I feel like I'm, I'm like on all of them simultaneously. Is that even possible? Because they have... It's it's one of those things. I don't know that it's. I think intuitively you you may get an idea from that, but ultimately the stages are just like a metaphor for for getting more and more clear about what is valuable and what is valueless. It's almost like it's a metaphor for coming to a deeper awareness of what is truly valuable and what is not valuable. And if you look at it, the, at the beginning of the introduction of A Course in Miracles, it ends, the introduction ends with, this course could therefore be summarized by the following, nothing real can be threatened, nothing unreal exists, herein lies the peace of God. This is almost like six stages of opening your mind to that ultimate little summary at the beginning of the book of coming to that. And I would say that like that nothing real can be threatened, nothing unreal exists, herein lies the peace of God. That's almost like him giving the whole course at the very beginning in the introduction and saying now we're going to try the practical application of getting into the means of miracles, that's why he called it A Course in Miracles, to actually experience what that line is talking about. That the truth is very simple, but in terms of practical, direct experience, you know, we need to open up to it. So, I don't think it's that important, but if, if you have a strong intuitive hit, it may have some value for you, but ultimately it's just giving you a context that there's going to be some shifts and changes coming in mind, and it will seem to involve externals as well, and it, it kind of gives you a whole context for the spiritual journey. Yeah, I found... Um, <clears throat> I was really asking that question early, early in the piece, oh, what, where am I at, what's going on, and I, I noticed I was getting pretty caught up in it, and I found what I really learned was, who was the one who's asking that? It really is the ego that really asks, where am I at, actually? The spirit doesn't ask that question. And when I really got in touch with that, I thought, oh, okay, well, that's not helpful. So what about these stages? What is it? And really, I, I, what I found helpful is that it's the ebb and flow of the spiritual journey. Like, on my way, I'm going to have times where I feel good, and other times I don't feel good. And when I feel good, I think, oh, I've, I've done it. I'm here. I'm actually at this stage, the sixth stage. I'm an achievement. It's great. And then suddenly I fall flat on my face and then I really go down with a whack, you know, and I think there's something wrong and there just isn't. You know, it's the ebb and flow of this journey, which I just found so helpful. And I just find that's the thing I'm sharing a lot of the time with the people around us is that, you know, just be mindful. Okay, you feel good now. You may not feel good tomorrow. <laughs> it's like it's, uh, you know, there's two-thirds of the journey, remember, is not so nice. And just be aware of that. And if you can just be okay with that, I've just found it so much more helpful. And with those around us, just to be okay with that. 
because we're so heavy on ourselves. You know, when we're so willing for this journey to, to wake up, it's like one of the biggest problems is really judging where we're at. Or really, what I say is it's, it's okay to judge. And, you know, it's okay to judge. We're going to judge. And Jesus knows we're going to judge. And we want to undo this judgment. It's judging the judgment, if you like, just whipping ourselves, getting the Zen stick out when I've had this negative thought or I felt bad about myself. You know, if we can just be okay. Okay, this has come in. And the whole, really what this is about is just coming back into alignment as swiftly as I can, if you like, not putting any pressure on myself, but just saying, okay, I've erred with the ego over here and now I can just come back into alignment with the spirit. It really is a moment-to-moment decision. And this is where the trust really kicks in, I find, is I've got to trust that instead of aligning with the ego in this moment, I'm going to align with the spirit. No matter how much I want to be over here, how much this, is, this has served me in the past or seems to have served me, how much I'm, I'm off into a fantasy and I just want to live out this fantasy in my mind right at the moment, this fantasy thought, whatever it is, or this planning thought, it's like, no, just come back now. And it's available in this moment, you know? And this is the mind training. This is what's most helpful. You know, these stages, just knowing these development of trust really is almost like an intellectual thing, actually. It's just to satisfy that ego part of mind, the intellectual part, to say, okay, there's going to be ebbs and flows. Just be okay with it, you know, and just don't beat yourself up. And, you know, you'll be awake when you are. And until then, there's going to be the ebbs and flows. You're going to f- experience different, you know, uh, parts of this development of trust or this journey along the way. And as much as you can, be okay with that. And this is where the mighty companions are just so helpful just to remind us of that, you know. And they just, we, we, we can't emphasize them enough. I just love how David just stayed there for a while just talking about us and we're all lifting up our hands, how wonderful they are, because they really are, you know. And I think Kristen, at the end of this session, will be talking a bit about MMT, which is such a powerful program to help, you know, with all of this, you know, to, to help align the mind and to be able to do it with a mighty companion is even another, another helpful step, so... Okay, and next on the list is Gertie, who happens to be uh, Lenny's mom. <laughs> Can you hear me? <laughs> Can you hear me? Yes. Mother's yeah, daughter. Okay. <laughs> well, um, what you said, Michael, is exactly what I thought. The, the first thought was, well, I would like to know that. And then immediately it came, well, that's not important. If I take the relationship now with my daughter, Lenny, Hello, Lini. <laughs> I love you. Oh, gosh, I love you. And I love you. <laughs> and, and if I think of our relationship, how much this has changed. I don't need to know where I am in these stages. I just know that we have been soaring. We, it's much faster now to come back to alignment, as you said, Michael, you know, and As you also said, well, I may feel really good today, but tomorrow it's perhaps not the same thing. And that's exactly what I'm thinking. Sometimes it's so great with her. And then I think, oh, perhaps it's not the same thing tomorrow. And that's okay, as you said. And the other amazing thing I thought was, um, David, when you said, uh, I just have to look here. Yeah, we are not alone. Mm. I was just listening yesterday and... Uh, I spent a night full of fear. It, there was so much fear, I couldn't sleep at all. And I, here in Sweden, you are awake from 2 to 4 to listen to this retreat. Mm. And I thought, and my heart was pounding. I thought, gosh, what's going on? And I, I was just 
And then I thought, and all these mighty companions, we are sharing the same fear. We are sharing the same tears, the pain, and the same desire to wake up and to feel this love. And I was just so grateful to have all these mighty companions. And I thought, you are not alone. So I came to Lena's place this morning. And there was this joy and love. And she says, oh, mom, come in. You're so welcome. <laughs> and all this fear just dropped. And, and the tiredness. And then the little Alicia was there. And oh, uh, grandma. And, uh, you know, I just can't, words can't express it. So I'm just so grateful for all of this. And, mm. and I really feel that what everybody has said, I can relate to that. And it is as if people are speaking for me. So I didn't have to say much yesterday, but I thought I would like to share this today, how much, um, how grateful I am and how for that this fear has gone away and I know I'm supported and and everything is as it should be. And well, so grateful for your talk, David and Michael and, all the other lovely companions. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, I would like to say one more thing. I had uh, submitted a, a question, and this is about my horse, Freku, who is almost 31 years old, and he has the sarcoid, kind of cancer growth. And here is this question again, how much do you trust? And... Um, I feel that I'm wavering. I'm in trust and out of trust, connecting and disconnecting from spirit. And then the thought of what Nuke Sanchez said, when the mind is healed, the body must follow. And I would love to have some your take on that. I'm always expecting if I'm changing my mind about the sacred, it will go away. And I'm so fixed on that. And it doesn't go away, it's growing, and, and I feel fearful about it. And I would love this community of mighty companions that we get together and help my horse to get healed. Thank you so yeah, much. I think as a, as a quick answer to that, that, that um, um, last night, right before we all went off, uh, I think... Um, uh, Lisa was was saying she just started singing, I I'm cracked, my mind is cracked, and she started laughing and and talking about a cracked mind, and that's actually very profound in the sense that the the sickness is the cracked mind, the sickness c cannot be found in form. Um, to talk about healing, that's just a metaphor in the course that you were Nick Nook was referring to that, that a healed body must follow the healed mind, but, but let's just stop for a moment and look if that, that the body existing in and of itself apart from all these images in the cosmos and then one's called a body, or call it a mountain, or call it a blade of grass, or call it what... When you really get into those workbook lessons, particularly like lesson uh, 136, Sickness is a Defense Against the Truth, you start to realize that the whole discussion has to come back to the mind in the sense that that it's the deceived mind that sees parts and holes. 
It's the deceived mind that sees distinctive parts called a horse or or a part of a horse, you know, as you're describing or whatever. That that's the fragmented perception of the ego. So the same thing could be said, I mean, there's the famous uh, Indian saint uh, Ramana Maharshi and and um, as terms of the world diagnosis, he seemed to be diagnosed with a tumor. And uh, then immediately people start, well, Ramana, he was so peaceful. He was so peaceful in mind. Um, how could Ramana have a tumor? You see, it's at the level of mind and then you talk at the level of symptoms and parts. The sick mind sees a cracked and fragmented world. The healed mind sees a holistic world where nothing means anything in and of itself. In healed perception, for example, there is no glass. There is no glass. Because why? Because what delineates a glass from the rest of the universe? But, but there are properties. Size, shape, texture, weight. I mean, you could go on and on, and, and basically Jesus does this in a, in a Course in Miracles, where Jesus says in the Course, in the workbook, you could receive the vision of Christ from a table if you withdrew all your ideas from that table. What does that mean? Texture, size, shape, weight, color, you know, comp composition. All of those are egoic concepts that make up the table. And behind the veil of images is the, the vision of Christ, it's light. It's just pure light. So, it, what it does is, you don't want to put a pressure on your mind to, uh, of once you start to, to heal something that you perceive as external to your mind, just by the belief that it's external, is, is the sickness. So, what we do is, we, we not only bring the symptom to the light, but we have to bring the horse <laughs> to the light. You have to bring the personality self to the light. You see, the whole teachings are bringing the darkness to the light, not attempting to bring the light into the darkness. Now, as to the idea of will the body be healed if the mind is healed, what I can say is that healing is an experience of peace and happiness and joy that is not circumstance dependent, because the circumstances, those projected circumstances, come from the ego. And a healed mind does not come from the ego. It's, it's coming from the Holy Spirit. So, there are always attempts to make connections between like mind-body-spirit or mind-body connections and what we're doing is, is Jesus is basically saying, you're going through a purification process where you have to release all thoughts of the past and the future. At one point he says, at no single instant does the body exist at all. So you could apply that even with your horse. Mm -hmm. Your horse doesn't exist in the holy instant. Your horse exists in the past or the future. <laughs> and. And its, its symptom exists in the past or future. So, 
ultimately the healing is back to that present moment and in that sense you are freeing your mind away from, from time. You see how deep it goes. It goes all the way into the holy instant. That's, that's where the healing is. I really like that Ramana Mahashi uh, idea as well because he was such a beautiful presence for decades and decades. You know, he started from a very young age in his teenage years and well into, I don't know what decade he was into, but many years. And then when the body started seeming to fail, there was a lot of people around him that really had a big problem with this, but he's such a clear mind, what's going on? And then it started getting more and more frail. You see him on his stick and you see some of the videos where the body doesn't look good at all. But the eyes are twinkling, the eyes are sparkling, the mind hasn't gone anywhere. The mind is the one, it's all about the mind. It's just not about the body. Whenever we try and look at the body as being anything, you know, if we're putting any sort of attention on it whatsoever, or trying to relate it that it is the state of mind, it's really, it's not helpful, you know, because then we just get stuck in that. Because, of course, the body will be laid aside. So what about that then? It's never supposed to be laid aside. Like it's trying to give an immortality almost to the body. You know, it's just not going to happen. So when we let go of those, um, what's seemingly happening to the body, it's, yeah, it's always bringing it back to the mind, and that's where the healing is, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for raising that question. Mm. That's, that is really a core, kind of a core question. Mm. It's very, very helpful. Beautiful. Okay, next is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Muna. Go ahead, Muna. Yes, hi, can you hear me? Yes. yes. Hi, David. Hi, everyone. Um, trust is a big deal for me. It trips me up big time, and I think I still have blind spots in my mind to it. I remember we did this um, when in Mexico in February, we did this trust uh, experiment, and I remember it has been really a grotty experience. Um, and, and my conclusion was that I cannot believe I have been put that. Now I know, so in my life, apparently I had a lot of uh, trauma, but I know that's like the mind crashing on itself, you know, like the thoughts just going so bizarre and so dark that it was, it was the attack on God, but it appears in this world attack on me. So that, that's the projection. But I think my mind is trapped somewhere, um, so that I still see it, trust, um, like I cannot trust people. I know, I know at the back of my mind, it's like the ego is at loggerheads with God, and there's just still this battle of will, and so there's always constant fear. You know, just coming to this, um, to this retreat, I really did not want to do it. I don't want to face you in particular, David, because I, I associate you with God. So I just don't know how to disentangle this searing trauma or the mind crashing, thoughts crashing um, in the mind, like like the virus in the computer caused the crash in the computer system. So it's, it all happens all at once, and I experience it as very grotty, very intense, unbearable, unbearable fear, uh, but I still associate that with people, with bodies. Um, of course, it's an ego trick, but I still cannot, in the moment when it happens, when I'm asked to trust, I cannot dis disentangle it and just see it as 
the body is the projection and all, all of that. I just see people are like out there to get me. I'm still in that mode. And so what, how that manifests is there's no, really no mighty companions in my life. And I keep saying to, to Christ, just change my environment, my lifestyle, send me to live in Miracle's community or somewhere where I can have more support. Um, and it's like uh, I want the world to change without me changing my mind. The changing my mind is taking so long that I'm just doing all the healing alone and it's just a bit suffocating. So I just wanted to share that because it just never goes away. It gets like I'm not immune to ego attacks no matter how much I heal. It gets me every time with people and confronting people. And, and I know it is, I'm unable to face God with the guilt and all of that. And I, I, it's like, I get the metaphysical stuff so easily, but the people thing gets me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. beautiful, Muna. Thank you, too, for, I love your post I see so often on uh, my Facebook feed. I just enjoy your post so much. And and as far as this uh, thing with the people, you know, it's it's like that Revolver movie uh, where you don't want to go, that's where you'll find him. In other words, let's say the virus on the computer, you know, people spend, become experts, uh, security experts to try to go hunt down a virus on a hard drive uh, because it can be quite a search uh, to find the virus. And then if we bring on that teachings uh, from the movie Revolver, where you don't want to go, that's where you'll find him, the ego. So, like for example, in my life, you know, I seem to project out a, a, a personality self of being, of, of a shy boy, a shy young man. I mean, the shyness was projected all the way into the, my 20s. Uh, I remember in uh, university even being on different projects and teams and and I was just so shy. I really had an aversion uh, to people uh, all the way through in, into the 20s. And then from that point on it's almost like when the Course came along, Jesus was like, well here's the Course, I'm going to lower this into your, here's, this is for your perception, but but you need some strong potion here. Uh, you are too averse to people. And uh, I could read in the Course, uh, when I was popping it open, I was seeing it all, relationships, relationships, every every page, relationships, relationships. And I'm like going, ooh, 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 that's, that's scary, scary, scary. That's danger, danger. And then, as soon as I got involved in the Course, um, that's when Jesus had me start dating. I mean, I I had avoided dating up until I was like 20, 27 years old. And then the Course comes in and then, oh, dating a fundamentalist Christian, oh yeah, you know, it's like that, that's strong, that is very strong. And then going through relationships, which you know how relationships can be, it just flushes us up like a volcano, it just shoots the darkness up you're going to zoom much faster into that ego in its hiding place. And then, as you know from spiritual community, what could be more intense than a relationship, than uh, a partner? A living in community for 
decades, and and if that's not enough travel, you know, to be out on the road and not know where you're going to stay and sleep, you know, all those things were kind of used as as heavy treatment, you might say, to to flush that unconscious sense. I had an aversion to people as well, and Kelly. Uh, last night started it off. She said, you know, she said, I'm, Kelly, I'm fine with Jesus. Jesus, I'm fine with Jesus. It's, it's the people <laughs> on this planet, uh, that are the, really the triggers, you know, it's in a strong way. In fact, uh, I was, one time I was talking to Gary Renard and, and Gary was saying, uh, he said it got to be so intense after he wrote Disappearance of the Universe and started traveling and speaking to course groups, he finally, Gary, went to Ken Wapnick and just said, these course students and teachers are terrible. They are absolutely terrible. They're worse than regular people. Uh, you know, he said, I'm going around traveling and teaching and everything. And, and of course, Ken was the ultimate joker. He said, yeah. Don't don't go around them. Stay away from them. <laughs> you know that was his his humor at at that aversion. You know so, and Gary also was very shy, extremely shy. So it seems like for those who have had an aversion with people, we kind of have to be turned in more of an extreme way because that's the defense is so intricate and built so much to project onto the people, almost so quickly, such a, without even, just like a reaction, a, a very fast reaction, that we need to, to be open to just say, I need some help with this, I trust that you will rearrange time and space and you will bring to me whatever I need to experientially go through this uh, catharsis and this, this healing. But I, I thank you for your faith because I, I know I, I right over there being in your home and, and, and I see that even since I first met you, you've just, I can feel your devotion and your calling is there. And then little by little, as you develop that trust, the spirit will bring in the, the seeming circumstances and, and situations that, that will help it pop. It will help the whole thing pop. I think there's a beautiful opportunity too, even on this retreat here, just to uh, reach out to others. If there's someone you feel like you resonate with or someone resonates with you, they could just be chatting to you just to say, oh, maybe we can stay in contact. So there's really many opportunities now not to be alone, you know, and do this with others. And uh, But it takes a little bit of willingness, you know, <laughs> you need to reach out. So there's sort of really no, no excuse anymore to actually do this by yourself, like geographic location is no longer a problem, you know, because we can meet here virtually and we can feel the intimacy that there is available here, so we really encourage you to do that. And uh, going towards your brother really is our saviour. It's amazing. Jesus says that, you know, like I'm going through this whole awakening journey so well, and except for these people, you know, <laughs> except for others. It's like, that's why they're our saviours, because they, uh, they provide us with generous triggers for us to see where we've still got these hang-ups in our mind that we can forgive, so. That's a Alanis Morissette line. Yeah. Thank you for your most generous triggers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> what a morning, Hopi Dinah. You know, I, 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 I don't know what David is ever going to say. And um, he, uh, it, it amazes me um, how 
perfect um, that topic was because I needed to hear that today. Because I, I like Michael's idea of, of accepting that there's this bit of a, a roller coaster or an ebb and flow. Um, wow. Because uh, I was ebbing. <laughs> and uh, I'm back in the flow. And that's cool. And maybe, you know, tomorrow I'll be ebbing. But that's okay because I know it's going to flow afterwards. So the timing of this, you know, it was all for me. So perfect. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. So thank you, guys.